This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Wristwatches, cigarettes, lighters, and fountain pens were missing. Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. This week's episode, and possibly the rest of our lives, are dedicated to the memory of Andrew Wardy Boy Ward. That was very touching, Dal. Um, I, I have been nominated to do the obituary for Wardy. Andrew Ward or Wardy, as he liked to be called, uh, passed away last month at the age of 72. The son of Nancy Ward, a machinist, and Tim Ward, an England international with more than 200 appearances for Derby County. During a stint working for Little Woods mail order stores, Andrew went to night school and gained qualifications in maths, statistics, and computing before taking on a degree in sociology and statistics at Exeter University followed by a master's in kinesthesiology at Waterloo University, Ontario, Canada. Um, He had a number of jobs as a bingo caller at Butlin's Skegness in 1977, a milkman for co-op dairies in Cambridge, a sociology lecturer at Cambridge College of Further Education, before he found his true vocation as a writer. He wrote his first book in 1981, Barnsley, A Study in Football, 1953 to 1959. Um, his his dad finished his playing career at Barnsley and was their manager for 1953 to 1960. So, yeah. I like how he stopped his book just before it all went wrong and his dad got sacked. <laughs> Michael Parkinson in the Sunday Times described it as a significant social document. He oh. wrote lots of other books, mostly on sport, um, including cricket, golf, football, horse racing and bridge. And he wrote a semi-autobiographical work called The Birth Father's Tale in 2012, 
which is based on his experience as a teenager of losing a child to adoption. It was written after he was reunited with his son, Adrian, in 2000. Yeah, so as much as we have kind of ripped the piss out of Andrew Ward during this series, um, it was never, you know, never met in malice. Um, It's just part of our shtick. I think we all recognize that Andrew Ward was a a tremendous football nerd like us three and sorry to hear of his 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 passing and wish the best to his family and friends. Yeah, just um wanted to echo what Tom said that although we do sort of poke the fun a little bit, it is just because we all love the game and laugh at some of its nuance and bizarre things that have happened and sometimes bizarre way of reporting on them. But yeah, you know, I think the best thing we can do is sort of carry on enjoying the books and um, cheers, Andy. Cheers, Andy. I do get the feeling we're not reading his best book, though. Maybe we'll carry on. Maybe we'll I read better we'll... books afterwards. Can <laughs> we just go through his oeuvre from one to the end? The Wardy Odyssey. The Wardy Odyssey. I did wonder where you were going to go. Michael Parkinson described it as a book. it sure was (laughs) well thank you for your touching words Thomas and Andrew and to any of our regular listeners I'm sure you will understand the reason for our change of pace in our intro unlike Wardy's writing style which of course is still very bizarre (laughs) and we're back with what I think is going to be a great triple header And I was just saying to Baxter before you joined, Tom, I think these next three stories, and I've said this probably quite a few times, three of the best stories so far. Oh, I'm I'm strapped in and ready. Well, you should be. We've got the end of the war in the first story. We've got death of players in the second story. And then we've got a murder mystery in the third story. Oh, blimey. Sometimes. Nice all, all within three years. Would you believe it? So I'm going to kick straight off, I think. Despite his death, I'm going to carry on renaming his titles because they're still not very good. So <laughs> I've decided to call this one the Woe Time Cup. No one had yet conceived penalty kick deciders. So it's worth saying we're in Stockport, March 1946. So just at the back end of the war. When the Division Three North wartime cup tie between Stockport County and Doncaster ended in a draw after extra time, the two teams were asked to settle the outcome that day. I don't know about you, and I know all these regional cups have got quite obscure names. And, and What do you mean you don't know about the Turnox wafer vase? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, as discussed in the last episode, yeah. but... The Division Three North Wartime Cup is one mm. of the best I've heard of so far. Catchy. So I, th- I think they should bring it back, really. So, yeah, they've been asked to settle the tie, Stockport and Donny. And what they decided was the first team to score would win. So, ultimately, Golden Goal. Golden Goal, back. I'd love a Golden Goal Cup. Well, yeah. Basically, Golden Goal has obviously been dead since. I want to say, if I was to guess when it died, I think it was 2005. I think the last golden goal that I ever remember being scored was Thierry Henry in the Confederations Cup. 
Um, oh, when was that? It was the final, and Thierry Henry scored. And it's the ultimate scene, a golden goal winner in extra time, when you know nothing else can happen now. I mean, nowadays, obviously, you'd still have VAR checking it, but the mm. scenes of that goal... The goal goes in. There's no there's no situation now in football when a goal going in means you've won. And I think you can't replace that excitement. Yeah, absolutely. Not to dig up VAR again, but or, you, or like, even look. or even penalty shootouts. Like I just well, it's such a naff way to end it compared to the golden goal. But we've already discussed this at length, so I won't go back into it. But yeah, it's definitely something that's exciting. And they obviously first team score would win, but the scores were still level after two hundred and three minutes. <laughs> two hundred and three replays. <laughs> no, two hundred and three minutes, and the game was abandoned because of because <laughs> it was light. a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, golden goal has to have its time limit, obviously. But before it did, I guess this could happen where the match would just go on for an extra 203 minutes, which is what, like three hours, 23 minutes. Mm. How has no one managed to score in that time? How was like, how are people still on their feet after three hours? must've been pretty sluggish towards the end. Just like, (laughs) not another long ball, Harold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they carried on, but the players were perhaps fortunate that the game didn't take place a month later. Had the clocks been on summertime, play might have lasted in, in a further hour. <laughs> so they were actually quite lucky, according to Wardy's notes here, that it was actually in winter time, so it did get dark a bit lighter for them. And of course, it was the north, so it did get dark at 3pm every day. Mm. It was dark when we got up. It was dark when we went to bed. I oh, were down the mines for the two hours of lightness. <laughs> the <laughs> match was actually played in the mines. <laughs> no offence, lads. <laughs> the cup tie had two legs. The first at Donny ended 2-all. The second at Stockport also was 2-all. The competition rules dictated that extra time of 10 minutes each way. This was played with no scores. Then the teams played on until the first goal. Referee Baker of Crewe Proved a hard taskmaster. Ooh. A hard taskmaster? Master. <laughs> a hard, hard mask maker. That's interesting that they had the, a 20-minute period of regular extra time before they went, now it's the the, the golden goal period. Yeah, I oh, think I'm what happened is they played those 20 minutes of extra time and then because penalties hadn't been invented yet, I guess... There were several different ways of sorting it out. They probably would have maybe traditionally just gone with the classic flip a coin or a third replay, because that's quite a common thing back in the day, wasn't it, as well? Remember the... Yeah, the FA Cup used to just have replay after replay, especially in the final, which always used to be weird, because you'd have, like, the final at Wembley on a Saturday at five or whatever, and then the replay on, like, a Wednesday afternoon at Elland Road or something stupid like that. So, yeah, I guess they just probably thought we really can't afford to play this match again. This Division 3 North wartime cut tie <laughs> really isn't worth it by this point. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, like, the League Cup goes straight to penalties in the early rounds nowadays, doesn't it? And 
Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. Stockport took Leicester to penalties last night. But yeah, I do think there's something to be said for not having replays because the players don't really want it. The fans, it's an issue of money and travel and war. It's like, you know, <laughs> if you're travelling to a second replay of the Division Three North Wartime Cup, you know, yeah. you've got to be pretty hardcore. The only time where a replay is any good for anyone is when, like, Crawley managed to hold, you know, Man City to a draw, and then they get a big fancy cup draw back back home. But other than that, I agree. Yeah, I think infinite golden goal until there's no light is a much better there's, version. There's there's nothing more exciting than golden goal other than like multi ball, which I don't think anyone's tried. Maybe it'll be in this book at some point. Well, yeah, we have got a story coming up which is called. Football's most amazing experiment. So maybe that's what that is. <laughs> Gotta be. But let's the face one, it. The one it's... where the Dulwich Hamlet players experimented with each other. <laughs> well, there's already been a couple of incidents where we've been to private schools and stuff. So I thought if yeah. that was going to come up, it might have been then. Yeah, it's, it's coming. Yeah, it's on its Watch way. Watch the Dulwich Hamlet players. Whoa! <laughs> In the meantime, we've got to Delightful. hear why referee Baker of crew was such a hard taskmaster. A hard mask tasker. <laughs> Three times Stockport's Ken Shaw had chance to add to the two goals he had scored in the first 90 minutes. Each time the chance went astray. The game went on and on. What? So he hasn't even... I'm sorry, I know he's dead, but he hasn't even clarified why he was a taskmaster. Ken taskmaster? Taking his chances. <laughs> like, is that all... Why is Baker such a taskmaster? I just... Well, I guess we might find out. We might find out. The game went on and on. Stockport's Les Cocker. (laughs) That is a classic Northern name. (laughs) (laughs) The name's Cocker. Les Cocker. All right, Cocker. Everyone used to say that back home. I heard that in ages. I thought that was like a Birmingham expression. Uh, No? All right. Anyway, Les Cocker. Later trained of Leeds and England. Put the ball into the Doncaster net, but Mr. Baker disallowed the point for an infringement. Uh, so basically, he fouled a guy and the goal wasn't allowed. Yeah, he's not just letting goal stand for a laugh. Yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, when it's losing light and you've played 203 extra minutes, it's tempting to just say, that'll do, back to the pub. But no, Mr. Baker was not having any of that. There was 13,000 spectators at the game. And most stayed until the end. Now, here we get some Wardy flourish, which I'm going to enjoy at this point because I could actually see it happening. Some of the 13,000 actually went home for their tea and came back again because the game went on so long. Yeah, I like that. Simpler times, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nightmare for sort of ticketing and stewards, isn't it? You go out and come, maybe stamp your hand like when you go to a club. Yeah. <laughs> There's 1940 revolutionaries up at Stockport with their ticket monitoring. Yeah. The teams toiled on. The sultry heat took its toll. Oh, Wardy weather warning here. Wardy weather warning. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to be a bit cold up north. And it's sultry heat. It's going to be quite warm up north. It made it up to 12 degrees. <laughs> 
After 200 minutes, Stockport's Rickards tried a shot in the failing light. The ball cannoned off two Doncaster defenders and the goalkeeper. All three Rovers players were left laid out like nine pins. <laughs> Eventually, after 203 minutes, the referee ended the endurance test. The two teams tossed a coin for choice of ground for a replay. Oh, for God's sake. Ugh, nightmarish. End it. Just <laughs> End everything. The following Wednesday, Stockport lost 4 0. Wow. I mean, have Doncaster just sent the reserves, have they? Thought, sod it, it's not worth this. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Peak football. There's a lot of silliness going on in this era of the book, isn't there? Most golden goal, uh, you know, competitions wouldn't end that way. So it's just kind of one of those weird outliers, isn't it? You know, I just think after all that time and effort, and already the fact it's been over two legs, it's gone on for an extra two hundred and three minutes. There must have been a better way to decide it. Like you're in the middle of a war, just have a fist fight. <laughs> well, if some of these like lads it. have veterans from the war maybe they should have all put t- all took the shoes off put the feet into the center circle and see who had the most ties left <laughs> yeah not peak football but very unfortunate for everyone who was there yeah which in some ways is peak because <laughs> we we've we've seen many a nil nil in an on-league ground where we've stood in the rain under no sheltered terrace mm. just wishing the ground would swallow us up <laughs> Well, I don't true. know. You're paying the same amount of money to get in as normal, I expect, and you get four times the game. But is it? Well, as, as Tom says, I imagine the last sort of hour was pretty dross. People walking around, wondering where the next pint's going to come from. <laughs> Let's move on. And this next one, I've decided not to rename the title just because I, I really enjoyed how blunt the title is. And it's called... When two players died. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wardy. We'll never see your like again. <laughs> and for anyone who's been a long-time listener and listened to our more serious content of Lost Clubs, you'll be pleased to know this is the first time that we're heading to Aldershot. Yeah. April 1948. Long before Graham Brooklyn was starting up the supporters club to try and get a new older shot going. This is back in the old days before Spencer Trefui tried to buy the club with his fake checks. Before he went to prison and then came out and then got a Farnborough to National League South. Oh, I'm fuming about that still. <laughs> My least favourite team in non-league, Farnborough. It's got the whiff of the tampling about it. Not, not for me. Anyway, let's, let's see what Wardy has to say about this one. Will his opening statement be as harsh as his title? Yes, it will. (laughs) Soccer can be a lethal game. The most common causes of football death have been serious head injuries, and then in brackets, such as those by the much-lamented Scottish international jock Thompson. Internal injuries, (laughs) open brackets. For instance, William Walker of Leaf in 1907, close brackets. Pneumonia, open brackets, e.g. Sam Wynn of Bury in 1927, close brackets, and infections of wounds, particularly in the early years of the game, when internationals like Dunlop and De Jones 
died in such circumstances. The Jones didn't die for this. Is, hang on, are these as a result of injuries sustained during football as opposed to dying during football? Because that's quite different. Well, the I think what Wardy's just done here, he's, he's given us the history of deaths on the pitch, basically. Because if the Jones and was the other fellow Dunlop, yeah, have died from an infection during a game, that's either pretty hardy of them to play when they were in that condition, or maybe one of these marathon two hundred minute games. There's a lot to take in there, isn't there? Head injuries, pneumonia, infections. As pneumonia. Ever, we, won't, new, we won't know. Well, no, we won't. But pneumonia, that has to have been from the match, surely. The fact it was in Bury as well. Because mm. where was it when it was a bit cold in a previous story? Was that Blackpool? Yeah. Maybe it all ties together. Anyway, always, carry on. It always ties together. I also like that there's a guy called Dijon which is spelt the same way as many Italian players like De Rossi or De Natale. Just De Jones. <laughs> D.I. Jones. De Jones. De Jones. De Jones. De Jones. De Jones. I'm sure I've watched a crime drama with D.I. Jones in it. De Jones. Well, if you think you've watched a crime drama, wait till the next story. But no, let's carry on with this. More unusual fatal incidents have also occurred on the field. Oh, we get more. In 1897, Thomas Grice of Ashton, Cheshire, fell during a game and his belt buckle punctured his stomach. Oh, bloody hell. Okay, like, questions here immediately. I know the, the kits were not quite the same back then. Maybe this is why the kits aren't the same. Maybe this is when they stopped wearing belts to play football. <laughs> You don't want your shorts falling down. You want to moony the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when was elastic invented? Maybe that's the bigger <laughs> question. Mm. Is that the way? Like, um, back in the very old days, you had to wear like a massive cap, regardless yeah. of the weather, to play football. <laughs> and pantaloons. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what punctured his stomach. Apparently, that's a horrible way to go. Uh, but not as horrible as this. In Spain in 1927, the ball brought down a live electric wire and a player who went to remove it was electrocuted. <laughs> so the they didn't stop the game after the one guy like impaled himself on his belt buckle. <laughs> oh, no. No. Advantage! <laughs> Different times. Yellow card for diving. Mm -hmm. James Beaumont was killed in Sheffield in 1877. When chasing the ball, he jumped into a quarry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, he's uh, misjudged that a bit, hasn't he? <laughs> what did he think was there? <laughs> the ball, apparently. Well, yeah. Was it just like the edge of the touchline was right on the, the boundary? And he's just, he did, I presume he didn't just run and just yeet himself off the edge. And <laughs> it doesn't seem to make sense. I love that. And then just to clarify what he's um, offered his sentiments to these incidents where he's put, such accidents may happen. <laughs> you know, quarries, electrocution, belt buckle to the stomach. Buckles, yeah. What are you going to do? What that are you going to do? That must have been bad to 
do you in? How big is this belt? I'm not sure, but I actually feel that, and this might be untimely just after Wardy's death, but I feel now might be a good time for us to start writing our own book. Much in the spirit of this book, Football's Greatest Deaths. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd be up for that. That can be our first book. I think that would be great to do. I mean, we've already got like five or six there, which we can just steal now. Well, yeah, and he's, he's going to come after us now. Has he got a publisher? Don't worry about that. Anyway, such accidents may happen, but clubs can plan emergency procedures, medical help, safety precautions to minimise their impact. Sometimes, though, death comes too suddenly. <gasps> oh, no. As was the case with the Army Cup final replay of 1948. They really loved their war and army-based named cups after the war, didn't they? I mean, I guess we can't really rip it too much because we weren't there, but it seems like everything that happened after the war was just named after the war. Come on, well, I'm, I'm, it was quite a big thing. So I imagine uh, there's, you know, a lot. To, oh, we're not doing this again. We're not doing more World War Two stuff, Christ. A lot of stuff was named after World War Two, like the World War Two Stadium. Garbage. That was a bad joke. Please edit that out. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The cup finalists were the Royal Armoured Corps of Bovington and number 121 training regiments of the Royal Artillery Oswestry. Not the catchiest team names. Later renamed as TNS. Okay. <laughs> no, they weren't. I <laughs> who, know, who knows? Who really knows where TNS came from? It may have been the number 121 training regiment of the Royal Artillery Oswestry. <sighs> Making me sweat just saying that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Their first meeting on Wednesday, 14th of April, was a nil-nil draw distinguished only by the presence of the king and queen. The royal schedule was delayed by half an hour because of extra time. We won't have that now, would they? The replay also took place at the Command Central ground in Aldershot. Oswestry scored twice in the first 20 minutes and held their lead into the second half. And then here's where we get interesting. A storm gathered from some distance away. Rain was imminent. Wardy weather warning. Wardy weather warning. It's going to rain on the soldiers. Going to be some inclement weather for this game. 
forked lightning flashed its warning. <laughs> the players took their positions for a throw-in on the opposite side to the grandstand. So you can imagine that. Player goes over to take the throw-in, he stood by the grandstand, and then all of a sudden... There was an electric flash of lightning and a simultaneous roar of thunder. The throw-in was never taken. Oh dear. It was never known what attracted the lightning. <laughs> what? Surely the massive metal stadium. Yeah, the huge erection. <laughs> Possibly could have worded that differently. <laughs> it was suggested at the time that it was the referee's whistle. What? How big was this whistle? <laughs> Wheelbarrowing around behind. <laughs> Others thought a water pipe around the track may have done it, but the effect was devastating. Eight players and the referee swayed from side to side and then keeled over as though they had been hit in the back of the head. Two players died in the incident. 18-year-old Bertram Bordley, the left half of the Oswestry team, and his direct opponent, Kenneth Hill of Bovington. The referee, Captain Green, weird name, but fair enough. I like to think that's probably his title rather than his actual name. Captain I, Green. I like, to think he was a, I like to think he was a character in Cluedo. With <laughs> the lightning in the football ground. Well, don't mock him <laughs> back. Don't mock him back because Sorry. he was on the list of football league refs and was detained in hospital that evening. And it was suggested that wearing rubber footwear might have helped him survive. So, clever guy. Yeah. Two other players and two spectators were also detained in hospital. For about 30 seconds after the incident, no one seemed to have understood what happened. Then spectators and ambulance men began to move towards the injured. But virtually everyone was in a state of shock and spectators commentated on experiencing a tingling sensation. The game was abandoned and the two teams were given the Army Cup for six months each. I'm not being funny, but that is that is not the result, is it? Yeah, it's the least of the worries, really, isn't it? The, I there's know be, there's Ken better Hill ways. And Bertram have, have, have sadly passed on, but you know, it's uh, as long as he got the cup for a few months each, hey, that's what they would have wanted. Well, arguably, the cup may have caused the electric. The cup and the giant whistle. <laughs> yeah. A giant whistle. The verdict on the dead man was death by misadventure. That's one of my favorite causes of death. Um, that's how we all want to go, isn't it? Let's be honest. Misadventure. They, yeah, they, they did carry on by saying heart failure due to an electric shock from lightning. But yeah, I think, yeah, on the death certificate, death by misadventure is a great one, isn't it? That's definitely what I want putting on mine. In fact, write it now. Just leave the date blank. Yeah, just write it at the end. Definitely. Fill in the rest of the info. Darren Similar... Napton. He died doing what he loved, being mildly annoying. Misadventurous. <laughs> A similar event occurred in Birmingham in 1967. A Highgate United player was killed and seven players injured when they were struck by lightning during the FA Amateur Cup between Highgate and Enfield. The match 
was replayed at Villa Park and it was a very emotional occasion for the 32,000 spectators present. And there you have it. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, under underselling it a little bit, typically, to say that it was an emotional time for people that were present, especially once the news come out um, about how severe it was. Because, you know, at the time, you wouldn't have a clue because, well, you just think, okay, well, it's dangerous, something could happen here because of this storm and they've called the game off, so let's all go home. It's probably only the following day's newspaper or possibly even the day after that by the time they'd all sort of processed it and stuff. So, it, yeah, that's typical, I suppose. He, he downplays some of the biggest um, talking points of the story, but whatever. Well, at least we got that intro of all the deaths of football before. Yes, enjoyed that. Not in a weird way, but yeah. Especially off Dunlop and De Jones, of course. De Jones. De Jones, now simply a pile of bones. <laughs> That's what it says on his grave. <laughs> peak oh, football. Death. Peak football. No. Good though. Better quite than some sad. stories. <laughs> quite sad. Yeah, it is, it is quite sad. I mean, I, I, the guy that jumped into the quarry was pretty good. <laughs> I think though, you must admit they are getting more entertaining <laughs> stories. Yeah, I think like I think the problem with the start of the book is that there wasn't enough like uh, you know. Those sourceable information mm. so Wardy had to get a bit creative but yeah it's all coming together football's yeah. a very silly game so I'm kind of imagining like Wiley Coyote you know he runs off the edge or something <laughs> and his legs keep going for a second and he looks down and realises and it's like oh he holds up a sign saying uh oh <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I mean this is a man's life here you know we shouldn't <laughs> but it's uh, you know it's a northern man so not quite a man if you to believe the book. Yeah. If I know Northerners like I think I do, um, they would like us to laugh at them if they die in funny ways. Oh yeah, I'm counting on that. <laughs> so should we should we carry on with another one of my favourites? And I've I've re right, the original title for this one was quite good, but I've renamed it just so you don't get the gist of what's happening until later on in the story. Just for a bit of mystery, really. So I've called this one Not the Fountain Pens. I can't even begin to imagine what this is about. Exactly. But you will in a minute. It's in Scarborough, back up my way. I think we've had a story from Scarborough before and it was really weird. It was like a, a match on the beach Oh, that was it. Fisherman versus fireman. I've just looked, oh, yeah. yeah. And he like, had a load of gunmen around the outskirts of it for some reason, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. But this is weird, but in a different way. It is not unusual for thieves to raid a dressing room while the game is in progress. I know I have. <laughs> not really. <laughs> My favourite I... story... Concerns a local game in the West Country. So despite the fact it's based in Scarborough, he's also trying to bring you lads into it as well with a West Country reference. So you're ready for this. Two players sent off by the referee returned to the dressing room when a robbery was taking place. 
They shouted the news and all 22 players set off around the district to corner the robbers. Fun way to sort it out, isn't it? All 22 of them? Yeah. They heard there was robbers in the dressing rooms and apparently they literally circled the ground to make sure they couldn't escape with their stuff. Fair play. I I like how they were so quickly organised, this gang of vigilantes. Anyway, that's not the actual story. That's just a a little reference for you lads there. Back in Scarborough on Easter Monday, 1949, the thieves had an easier escape. The robbery took place during the first half while Scarborough, third from bottom in the Midland League. I'm not sure why Scarborough would ever be anything that's called the Midland League, but we're not going to worry about that. They were holding league leaders Gainsborough Trinity very creditably. The robbery was discovered at half-time. Money, wristwatches, cigarettes, lighters and fountain pens were missing. Oh. All stolen. The pockets of all the Scarborough players had been rifled. The referee and linesman were victims too, and only the Gainsborough dressing room was untouched. Mm. But we might need to get our best detectives on this one. Yeah. And then Wardy's put in brackets here, which is a great reference. I'm going to read it out. It's very cheesy, but it's a great reference. And he says in brackets, Ah, Holmes, do you think this means it was a Gainsborough supporter? I think not, Watson. <laughs> All right, fine. He's gone, he's gone like true crime now. True crime, streets of Gainsborough. <laughs> Scarborough goalkeeper, Cyril Hannaby. Lost <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) Don't laugh at Cyril Hannaby. (laughs) Because do you know what he lost? More importantly than the fountain. He lost he lost the key to his fish and chip shop. And his return ticket home to Doncaster. Nightmare. Bill Park, the captain, lost his return ticket to York. Dennis Kirby lost his return ticket to Leeds. And then we get another Wardy True Crime bit here. Why, Holmes, the thieves must have split up after the robbery. Not necessarily, Watson. What? So he thinks they've st- stolen the train tickets and then used them. <laughs> they just happen to end up in these random places. Tanoi announcement asked for a detective officer Bond who was among the 3,000 at the game. You know, because whenever whenever there's a severe crime happens, you've always got to put the call out for the local detective who just happens to be watching the match. Yeah. Hopefully he's had five pints beforehand in the the tavern. I also love that he was called Bond as well. Yeah, good. Is this the first James Bond book? Yeah, yeah the one that didn't quite make it. Yeah, because it was in Gainsborough. <laughs> there were a few clues. However, there was no sign of a break-in. The thieves had probably snuck in through the main doors and reached the dressing room by the main passage. 
it was disconcerting for the Scarborough players who had the second half still to play. <laughs> well, yeah, They're going to steal our kidneys. <laughs> On the field, they were robbed of victory too. Oh, that's a nice line. That is a classic Wardy line. I like that. Yeah, never one to miss a chance to segue two stories together. Rubbing salt in the wounds of the Scarborough players. After taking the lead late in the game, they conceded an own goal with the last kick of the match. Scarborough's 1-1 draw was their best performance of the season, but it was an afternoon of mixed feelings. Hmm. Wow. Typically, I'm guessing that's all we get. We don't know if things are recovered, if the people were found. (laughs) No. Um, If anyone managed to give them a lift back home to wherever they were going. Well, you'll have to pick up the separate book, which is also purchasable from Wardy's collection, which is Mr. Bond and his extravagant football tales. The Bond Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah. CSI Gainsborough. It kind of reminds me of how we ended up in Hengrove late at night with all of our money stolen and... No way to get home. By stolen, you mean spent on beer? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very similar incident. <laughs> that did sound like a good story, though. Didn't you get a lift back off some kindly stranger? Yeah. Ground toppers look after each other. Even if we did abuse them all day. Yeah. There's the one guy that we didn't get to abuse. Until he dropped us off and we popped his tyres. Yeah. Big football? Pretty funny. Good. I mean, I suppose it happened a lot more back then when security wasn't as much of a concern or they hadn't invented, I don't know, closing the doors. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I think we, we carry on. We're, we're coming towards the end of the 1940s now. So... I think I think things are going to continue to pick up. The next one we've got is set in Hinkley, and it's called Football's Most Amazing Experiment, as I mentioned earlier. So we've got that that's, to look forward to next time. Definitely, that's that's one to sort of um, mull over, isn't it? Because that could be anything. I think well, that might be a lot of uh, discussion around that one. Well, if if I was to put you on the spot now, Bex, if you were to guess. What football's most amazing experiment was? What would you if, say? If I could guess what the most amazing experiment, um, football experiment. Well, yeah, I, I don't know when goalkeepers were not. I know we discussed this. Allowed to just run with the ball in their hands anymore. You could don't. You, you used to be able to handball it wherever they chose, didn't they? So that mm. was that. That must have been pretty interesting when you were not allowed to. Yeah. Um. Oh, Christ, yeah, you have put me on the spot there. Or, you know, rather than get, like, a yellow card and then a red card, you got a yellow card and then a headbutt. But you're beheaded, okay, we went the same kind of route. And then maybe teabagged by the referee. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe they, they, like, they, it was the disciplinary procedure that was um, shaken up. Football experiment. Football experiment. Referees have shotguns. Mm. Yeah. You, you wouldn't argue with them, would you? Well, I'll tell you now, I'm not going to ruin it, but it does involve magic. 
Wow. Okay. Sick. This is good. But we'll have to wait till next time for that. Maybe the referee was dressed like a old timey magician, and he had a, a top hat and a shotgun, his whistle and his shotgun, and his his yellow card was actually a rabbit. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Maybe it'll be one of those things live from Hinkley next time. But in the meantime, it's time to fire up the Baxter machine. Hmm. I do have a game. Oh, Are you all right there, Tom? Yeah, I just, I'm getting my notes up. I thought it was time for the joke. Sorry, we've got more of this to sit through yet. Okay, sorry. I was a brief pause while I counted um, this first player's uh, clubs, which he had, and there's a lot of them. There is 11 clubs for this first player, um, and his name is Robert David Keane. You might know him better simply as Robbie Keane. Ooh. He, st- uh. made, he made his professional debut in 1997 and stopped playing in 2018, so a long old time. And as I say, he's had 11 professional senior clubs. Uh. I don't know who went first last time or not, but Daz, do you want to make your guess first on how many of those clubs you can go for? I do, but I need to think. Okay. Oh, I def- all right. The thing is with this, I end up being quite ambitious, but then also you've got to get him right, haven't you? It's the thing is, it's not about naming the most. You've just got to beat Tom, which is what happened last week when you didn't have to name Very all. Easy. Of, all there's, of not a, there's, there's not eleven. You just have to beat me. And there's not eleven. <sighs> Two of them I'd forgotten about. Three of them I'd forgotten about. I can only think of about two teams that Robbie Keane played for. Okay, well, this isn't great then. <laughs> um, that, was, that might have informed your, your bid slightly. Oh, guess. I, I don't give I a th- fuck. I think oh, I can no. definitely get eight. Eight? Tom, can you improve on eight? Nine. Nah, Tom can go then. Fight me. <laughs> right. Um... <laughs> Uh, this might be short lived, but go on. Blackburn. No. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got to name one to win. Yeah. Well, no, technically, technically, you don't even have to do that because he he's he's just lost now for getting it wrong. I mean, you can name as many as you can be bothered with if you like, or right. we could perhaps give him another go because he seemed yeah. to rush that. Tom, would you like another life? Wrexham. <laughs> to be fair. Shit! <laughs> I thought he played like five games for Wrexham at the end of his I career. Go near Wrexham. Ah. <laughs> I'll go for my eight. I definitely, I definitely don't know the Indian team he finished at. And I don't know a couple of the lone clubs. I, I feel like he went to Celtic, but I'm not. that's not one of them. Anyway, my eight are... Wolves, Coventry, yep. yep. Inter, good. Leeds, yep. Spurs, yeah. Liverpool, they LA really Galaxy. Do it in order until you said that. LA, LA Galaxy is correct. Yeah, and then he had, he had some of the lone ones. He either played for Villa or West Ham. I remember him in the strip of the. Can I tell you, does? 
He played for both. Oh, for God's sake. I knew he played for one of them. He played for both. He, of them. Yeah. he scored three and six for Villa, so that's not a bad effort. Yeah, I don't really remember that. I just remember <laughs> him being in the kit. I, I, I bear the two I don't remember. I have no memory of him playing for West Ham. I think I vaguely remember him playing for Villa. Um, and you were dead, you were dead, right? He played for a team that used to be called Athletic de Kolkata. Uh, ATK, they're um they're more commonly known as. But yeah, he, he played for them at the end and then sort of got bored and fucked it off. I wonder if he'll feature if um Atletico Calcutta or whatever they're called will feature in Tom's India in the mix episode. Almost certainly. I'm uh Really getting into that, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You don't, you don't know. <laughs> as good. I said, as I said last time, expect that out by Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm quickly, sure there's gonna be lots of stuff. It'll, it'll be good. It'll be fun. Quickly moving on then to our next gentleman, who is of course Sulzia Jeremiah Campbell. Uh, classic. Have we not already done Campbell? I don't know. Maybe someone can write in and tell us if we have. I don't think we have. Anyway, this should be a breeze for both of you then. There are five clubs, not six. He had two spells at one, so that's my bad. There are five clubs that Mr. Campbell has played for. Daz, you went first last time. So, Tom, what's your bid out of five? This is easy. I'd like to think I can do five. I mean, Daz has got nowhere to go there, so I think you have to. Right. Arsenal, Tottenham, yeah, Portsmouth, yeah, Nottingham, not count, Notts County, yeah, very good. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Five, four, what? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, West Ham. Oh, Daz? fuck it! Yeah, the 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 club that he ended his career with was Newcastle. Yeah. Ah. A sensible guess, though, because they seem to me, certainly in my head, to just hoover up these old players on their last sort of roll of the dice. Why can I remember Notts County, but I can't remember where Newcastle United? Well, Notts so, County was humorous because I swear he only played one game. He was the first signing they made when right. Notts County were like, they were. I'm sure they were still in League Two, and they were like, "We're going to be in the Premier League in like four years, and we're going to be conquering." Well, that's what Europe. that's what Joey Barton's done, but no one's fallen for it this time. Well, yeah, yeah. it's because there's no Saul Campbell's around, isn't it? Also, where um, Casper Schmeichel started off as well. I'm sure they had Casper Schmeichel and Saul Campbell for that one game. <laughs> Do you know he also pla- he also signed a five year contract there? Yeah, and then after one game, he just went nah. He walked out, and his contract. <laughs> Not sure about was- this. His contract was cancelled by mutual consent. I love that. About a month later. I remember it all kicking off. I remember watching it on, like, um, what was it called? On BBC, the final score. And I think they lost his first game, or he might have even, like, scored an own goal or something stupid like that. Anyway, it didn't go well for him. And then he was just like, nah, stop this. It was a 2-1 defeat against Morecambe. At How Christie Park, it doesn't say if he scored an own goal or not, but let's say he did. Let's say he scored two. <laughs> Got a brace <laughs> of own goals. Oh yeah. So unfortunately, that means it's two 0 to Daz, and we don't get to do the third player. 
Um, so anyway, if I don't know if you guys are any good at playing along at home with this game or if you think it's rubbish or we should have a better game or go back to previous games that we did. But if you want to get in touch, as ever, about anything, just write to us. We're so very lonely. And you can get in touch at pintoffootball2015 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at POF underscore reviews, unless you've already blocked us. We're also on Facebook. We're also on Bebo. Bebo, Grinder, all them. <laughs> all the major networks. Well, Tom might be on Grinder. Uh, speaking of Tom, he's going to end with Jake. Knock, knock. Who's there? I done up. I done up who? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the poo. <laughs> Good night. R.I.P. Wardy. R.I.P. R.I.P. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.